Welcome back, everybody. It's the Field Goals Podcast. I am your host, Dan Viennes. Well, here's how we're going to start this one. The Seahawks lose 24-20 to the Falcons at home at Lumen Field on an absolutely perfect day for football. My favorite kind of days. I don't know what the official high was. It was 70-ish, sunny, hardly any wind. Perfect conditions for football. Perfect conditions for offensive football, to be sure. But we're going to start off with this. For those of you who follow me on Twitter, and if you don't, it's at Seahawks Forever. Uh, you may know that I tend to be a little emotional. <laughs> as, as many of his fans are, right? Particularly in the moment, following a tough loss that we had opportunities to win, and maybe there were some IPAs involved. So the Seahawks go down to the Falcons. They lose by four. They're driving at the end. Geno Smith takes a sack on third down, leaves the Seahawks with a fourth and 18. Desperation time. Smith tries to throw the football deep, gets picked near the goal line, game over. About a minute, 10 left at that time. So that's the freshest thing in my head. So I'm pissed. And I'm thinking, I can't do a rapid reaction show tonight. That would just be all sorts of irrational and emotional. Uh, but I did tweet. And I tweeted, hey, for the show tomorrow, I want to know what Seahawk fans think. Is it time for Drew Locke? That's all I said. I didn't insult Geno Smith's family or his, his choice of how he makes a profession. I simply asked the question. And man, did people react. Um, and most of it was, hey, the guy can't tackle. He can't cover. It's not his fault. He wasn't the problem today. And that's why I wanted the show to start the show this way. By saying on the record that I was wrong. That I was wrong for even insinuating that a change at quarterback would do anything positive when it comes to this football team this year. Not yet, anyway. Uh, you know, having some time to reflect on it, re-watching the game, watching some of the key moments of the game over multiple times, looking at some of the numbers. Look, Geno Smith was good yesterday. He was better than I think we can expect him to be on a regular basis. Like if we get that version of Geno Smith, the Seahawks can win some games, right? He was 32 out of 44. His, his completion percentage on the season is at 77%. Throws for 325 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception yesterday. And the and the and the pick was at the end. When he's taking a chance, he's trying to make something happen. You know, the Falcons are playing deep coverage. He he has to try to make a play. Geno Smith was really good yesterday. I just, you know, he took the sack on third down, and that cannot be washed away. That cannot be excused or swept under the rug. It's a terrible play. It's the kind of play we would have killed Russell Wilson for. In years past. Can't take that sack. Can't do it. Pete Carroll would have killed Russell Wilson for that. I listened to some of Pete's coach's show this morning. Didn't hear him bring it up. 
So he can't let that happen. And that's, that's what angered me at the end. But Geno Smith was really good yesterday and watching it back again. And sometimes that's, there are times that I prefer to watch the game on television. Because you are seeing everything. You're seeing all the replays a little bit closer. You're getting the analysis. You're seeing some of the isolation stuff. Uh, things look and feel different in the stadium. I will say this. I Again, because uh, I had some questions going into that game. Really impressed by the crowd. I mean, I do think, I talked about this a little bit before, that when you trade away your franchise player, two of your franchise players, Russell Wilson and then the release of Bobby Wagner, uh, you lose some borderline fans. And you lose some diehard fans too. The, the fans that attach more to the names on the back of the jerseys than the front of the jersey. And so what you tend to get in the stadium when a team's going through a rebuild or a step back or a little bit of a down period are the people who really genuinely enjoy football. And it showed. I, I thought the... I thought the crowd noise yesterday, considering the opponent and considering kind of the state of the franchise right now, was outstanding. It really was a great day for football. Uh, but it's a game the Seahawks could have and should have won if it wasn't for their abysmal showing, once again, on defense. I mean, the Falcons have been solid so far this year. The couple of very close losses to the two good teams and the Saints and the Rams. They've scored over 20 points in each game. Their head coach is a guy that was considered a, an offensive guru with what he did in Tennessee. You know, playing with a, a bridge quarterback, a, a guy on his third chance now in Marcus Mariota. But they've added some talent on offense there. And we certainly saw it yesterday. And we saw Arthur Smith make the most of what he had on hand. The three players, the Seahawks, as a defense, went into that game trying to stop were Kyle Pitts, Drake London, and Cordero Patterson. Cordero Patterson. They didn't stop either one of them. Because Arthur Smith called a great game and really game-planned for those guys. But this game was about defense. And how poor that Seahawks defense was. And in particular, how bad they are against the run. And we saw it in, in fits and starts against the Broncos. There were some big chunk plays. We also saw them tighten in the red zone. Same thing against the 49ers. There were times they gave up chunk plays. Other times they held the second half of that 49er game. The, the defense was competent really prevented the Niners from marching up and down the field. But boy, I'll tell you, after uh, after three games now, Seahawks defense, 25th in the NFL in yards allowed at 397 yards per game. And 31st in rushing yards per game at 157. And the only reason they're not dead last is because the Texans are that much worse giving up over 200 yards rushing per game. Now, for reference, best team in the NFL so far through three games, the Jacksonville Jaguars, only giving up 57 yards rushing per game. Jacksonville at 2-1 and one with an impressive win over the Chargers yesterday. 
So where are the problems coming from? We heard Pete Carroll on his coach's show this morning talked about how it's on the coaching staff. And I tried to get some sound from that coach's show, but they hadn't posted it uh, before I had to hit record here. He put it on himself. He put it on the coaching staff that there are some things in the scheme that they need to change alluded to the fact that maybe they're asking these guys to do too much too soon. We know we've talked about this ad nauseum over the offseason. That Pete Carroll wanted to make some changes on defense. That even though they were a traditional 4-3 defense under Carroll previously, but they played some 3-4 concepts, the shift to a more full-time 3-4 team hasn't gone well. (laughs) Has not looked good so far. And we knew there would be a learning curve. We talked about that after the Broncos game. But my goodness, they looked incompetent yesterday. And when you watch it, you can see what's happening. Two things. Number one is they're they're terrible at diagnosing misdirection. We saw the Broncos do it in week one, and we saw the 49ers do it against everybody. We saw a lot of it. With Atlanta yesterday, a lot of play action, misdirection, a lot of that outside zone stuff where it looks like the offensive line is going one way, but it allows for lanes for the running back to cut back and change direction. We saw a huge run late in the game that we'll talk about in a minute that was key to the game from Patterson, and it was exactly that type of play. The play looks like it's going to the right. Cody Barton is the the inside linebacker who would have been responsible for setting the edge, gets sucked inside. So Patterson breaks it back out to the left side. And Uchenna Nuosu is coming off the edge, and he's too aggressive, and he takes a bad angle, and he overplays it. And it leaves Patterson the edge, and Barton has no chance to get him. A 40-yard run. There were a lot of plays like that. But that doesn't explain the chunk passing plays either. I think there were 10 plays of 12 yards or more yesterday for the Falcons in the passing game yesterday. Um, Mariota was only 13 out of 20. But most of those 13-yard completions were long gainers. I mean, if you just do the math, 13 completions for 230 yards. Big chunk plays to London and Pitts. And then the balance and Patterson running it down their throats and around them. 17 rushes for 141 yards for the converted receiver. It's just weird watching him play too. You know, we just faced Debo Samuel, Samuel, but he looks the part. It's weird watching Patterson run. Still wearing that that receiver number in the 80s. He's, he's a long, lanky, kind of lean, tall. Looks like a receiver. It's a weird look, but it's working for him. Uh, Kyle Pitts, the second year uh, tight end, drafted number three overall last year. Five catches, 87 yards. And Drake London, the uh, outstanding rookie out of USC, three catches, 54 yards, and a touchdown. Um, but the Seahawks on offense as a whole yesterday were really good. Good balance. Uh, they outgained Atlanta 420 yards to 386. They won the time of possession finally. Uh, almost 32 minutes to 28 minutes. They were good on third down, converted 53%, 9 out of 17. Once again, Rashad Penny really didn't get 
didn't have any breakout explosive runs, but looked really good again. 14 carries, 66 yards. Kenneth Walker, three for 19. DJ Dallas got involved. Had a nice little draw play for a first down. The offense was good, and it was good consistently throughout the football game at moving the football. You know, we saw a good first half against Denver, and then they got shut down. And that was kind of masked and overlooked because of the defensive goal line stands and, and the win. But against San Francisco, never got out of their own way, never got going. Uh, there were some highlights on defense. Tariq Wollen, again, man, I'm telling you. For a rookie that we all thought was going to be a project and a guy that projected to be good coming out of UTSA, coming out of a smaller school, only playing corner for two years. There are times where he looks like our best player on defense. Tariq Woolen looks like our best player on defense. Had a pick yesterday as the Falcons were trying to, to go down at the end of the first half and trying to rush the ball downfield and, and make something happen. Undercut the play, showed anticipation, stepped in front of the receiver, good hands. He was our highest rated player on defense yesterday, according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, Boye Mafe made an impact again. Pete Carroll today on his coach's show. This, this may have been just as telling. First of all, his comments that um, that it was on the coaching staff. I, I think that's just him trying to protect his players. Because here is the bottom line. That front seven's not good enough. It's just not. Especially with Shelby Harris out. He's, he's the one interior defensive lineman that can get some penetration. There is no push up front. Teams are shoving us around. And now we go to Detroit this week to play one of the better offensive lines in the NFC. That front three or four or five, whatever alignment they're in at the time, is getting shoved around. And then the linebackers aren't doing enough to diagnose and, and clean up for that stuff. Jordan Brooks, Cody Barton, they may show a lot of tackles on the stat sheet, but they're getting caught in the wash a lot. They're not impacting the line of scrimmage. Jordan Brooks and Daryl Taylor were supposed to be the cornerstones of this defense this year. And I don't know if it's the new scheme that doesn't fit them or they're having a hard time uh, digesting it to this point or if it's trying to play up to expectations. I mean, Taylor did have one dynamic play yesterday where he came off the edge and forced a fumble of Mariota on a sack, so a strip sack. But otherwise, he's doing nothing. He's not setting the edge. He's not affecting the quarterback on a consistent basis. And even on that play, it was uh, the tight end kind of chipped him, let him go, gave him a chance to build up ahead of steam. And, and uh, Mariota held onto the ball a little too long. It was a second effort, kind of a strip sack. It wasn't, it wasn't an example of doing what we thought Daryl Taylor, Taylor was going to do more of this year, which is coming off the edge and beating a guy and showing that great bend. It hasn't shown that this year. And Pete Carroll said this morning, Boye Mafe and Daryl Johnson looked good. When you watch them on tape, they're going to get more opportunities. Who are those opportunities going to come at the expense of? Not a Chenna Nuosu. They're going to come at the expense of Daryl Taylor. Woolen was good. Mike Jackson got picked on yesterday. 
And this brings up a, a question. Carol was asked about the corners today, and he said, you know, they did, they, they did okay. And then he specifically mentioned that Artie Burns should be 100% this, this week, and we'll see him back. To which my question is, wither Sidney Jones? What's going on with Sidney Jones? He was the Seahawks' best cornerback last year. Got hurt in the preseason, had a concussion, missed a few weeks. Maybe that was a more serious injury than we've been, than, than has been divulged. He was a healthy scratch yesterday. He was inactive for this game. And he starts at that left cornerback position, or he did last year in place of Mike Jackson. Sidney Jones performing at the level he did last year alongside Tariq Woolen sounds pretty enticing, but Jones can't get on the field. And yet Carroll mentions Burns as an option ahead of that, that something's going on with Jones. Is he healthy? Is he not? If he's not, why don't they put him on injured reserve? If he is healthy, could be a trade candidate, maybe before the deadline recoup, the low round pick that they paid to get him. Um, interesting to see. And then the safety play. Uh, I don't think enough people are talking about, they talk about how poor we, we've been against the run. It's all those things I mentioned. It's poor linebacker play and angles and diagnosing. And it's just, they're not good enough up front. Let, let's just, let's state this right now. As we talk about the draft and we look ahead to the draft, we're going to talk a lot about quarterbacks, right? But if they have one other glaring need, it is up front on defense. And it can't be solved with one pick. They're going to need to acquire multiple players on that defensive front next year to turn this corner. They're going to have to get a lot better on defense. If they don't, then this team is for sure going to be picking in the top five. But I think Carroll, well, and when he says, here's another thing. When he says, this is on the coaching staff, we need to look at some scheme things. We might be asking him to do too much. Me and the coaching staff have to do better. Does that make you cringe a little bit? Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Does that sound like when less, when let Russ cook? started going off the rails in 2020 after the great start teams adjusted Russ started throwing picks I recall Pete coming out and making similar comments about how we have to make some adjustments and boy did they they locked that offense down the rest of that season so when one of the big storylines this offseason was Carroll kind of handing over the reins a little bit, elevating Clint Hurt to defensive coordinator, bringing in Sean Desai, bringing in Carl Taylor, guys who had tremendous reputation and, and respect around the league, young coaches. You know, you've heard Dana say it on this show. That she thinks Sean Desai might be the next head coach of the Seahawks when Pete Carroll's ready to hang it up. And presumably, Pete was kind of letting go of some of the reins and letting those guys run with it. He was ready. He was prepared to bring Ed Donatell on staff this last offseason. Had an agreement in principle until the Vikings came along and offered Donatell an actual 
defensive coordinator position. A guy like that's not going to come on board if he's just going to be a nameplate, right? A figurehead. Uh, so is this Pete wanting to get back in and roll his sleeves in and roll his sleeves up and get more involved? And what do you do at linebacker? I mean, and heaven forbid if Brooks or Barton should get hurt because what's behind them? We've talked about this. Nick Bloor, they worked out Joe Schobert, the former Steeler, this week. I keep wondering about Blake Martinez. He's worked out for some teams, tore his ACL early last year. Maybe he's just not 100% yet. But the former stalwart with the Packers, still in his upper 20s, four straight seasons of 140-plus tackles. You have to wonder if maybe he's on the Seahawks' radar. I mean, this was a terrible showing on defense. But there was a moment in this game that I didn't get a chance to hear him address it yet this morning. Maybe in his press conference later today, he will. But there was a moment. Three minutes and 12 seconds left in the third quarter. Game was tied at 20. Seahawks had a fourth and two. And they'd been moving the football. And we have gone back and forth on Pete Carroll and his fourth down history over the years. But the Seahawks were moving the football. They had just gone 73 yards in 15 plays, eating up almost seven minutes on the clock. Good run-pass mix, good balance. Geno spreading the ball around, getting guys involved. The highlight of the drive was a kind of Ken Walker's brightest moment as a pro so far, 21-yard run where he took it to the right and then cut back all the way to the left, showed off vision, speed, changed the direction. Saw a lot of what the Seahawks love in Ken Walker on that play. So they get down to the eight-yard line. Tie game. Can't stop anyone on defense. It's fourth and two in the eight, and they're moving the football. And Pete Carroll decides to kick to take a 23-20 to lead. It's as if he's still coaching the Legion of Boom. Still thinks he has Wagner in his prime, Chancellor, Thomas, Sherman, Averill, Bennett. Right? So they take the 23-20 lead. Atlanta promptly goes 75 yards in seven plays. The highlight of that was that Patterson run I talked about where Nuosu and Barton blew their assignments. They go right down, score, make it 27-24, or 27-23. That's the final score. Nobody scored in the fourth quarter. That was it. That was the game. The offense was good enough to win. Gino was good enough to win. Let's talk about some numbers for Gino. <laughs> this is fun. And again, if you're just tuning in, yeah, I say that like I'm on the radio, like you're going to hop into a podcast 20 minutes in. If you weren't listening closely enough earlier and you're one of those people that was debating with me on Twitter and thought I was crazy yesterday, you are correct. I was. I was out of my mind and I was wrong. Gino's been good. I'll tell you what, if Gino, I'll just say one more thing. And I've compared him to what Ryan Tannehill became after he left Miami. And I think it's an apt comparison. He kind of looked like that type of quarterback yesterday. Efficient, can make some plays down the field, was more willing to push the ball down the field yesterday. Offensive line held up well. 
He was only sacked twice. He had time to throw. Didn't have to run around at, uh, I really don't remember any scrambles. But if he plays this well or close to it the rest of the year, he'd be the perfect bridge quarterback, wouldn't he? See, I'd pay him a little bit more probably, maybe do a two-year deal, two- or three-year deal, draft your guy, not have to play him right away. But that's a conversation for another day. He is currently seventh in the NFL in passer rating at 100.8. Let me repeat that. Geno Smith is seventh in the NFL in passer rating right now. Completing 77.5% of his passes. 717 yards, four touchdowns, two interceptions. He's only taken six sacks uh, through three games. By comparison, just because you might be wondering, Russell Wilson, his passer rating of 83.2 ranks 23rd in the NFL at the moment. All right, so the Seahawks take on the Detroit Lions this Sunday. Uh, It's a 10 a.m. game. We'll preview that game in full later this week. Uh, Trying to get, I've got a couple irons in the fire, trying to get someone from the Detroit Lions side of things on with me. So look for that episode later this week. Also, uh, subscribe, like, review if you can. Also, stay tuned for uh, Dana's episode coming up in a couple of days as well. Uh, She's got a special guest lined up also. Uh, But let's just take a look around the league before we uh, sign off for today. The uh, speaking of Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos, Denver comes back to win an ugly game against the San Francisco 49ers yesterday, 11 to 10. Um, And I wanted to highlight something. So, and it, they won it with a Russell Wilson drive at the end of the game. He was asked after there was a key conversion on that drive. Third and 10, Russ completes a pass to Kendall Hilton to keep the drive alive. They eventually score and win the game. He was asked about that play, just in general, what he saw in that play. And here's Russell's quote. I went left. I guess I can still go left. Clearly a reference to Pete Carroll saying after the Denver win, how their game plan was to shove, force him to his left because he's not as effective that way. If you're a Denver Bronco fan, how concerned are you right now with where Russell Wilson's head is at? You just pulled off a win to go to two and one. And as good as everybody thought the AFC West was going to be, it's not turning out that way. The Chargers are one and two and uh, just lost their left tackle, Sean Slater, for the season. And Justin Herbert is clearly injured. The Raiders, everybody thought with Josh, under Josh McDaniels was going to be, nope, they're 0-3. So the Broncos are tied with the Chiefs at 2-1 and on top of the division. Big win for them. And Russ is still thinking about what Pete Carroll said about him two weeks ago? It's weird, right? It's weird. Uh, for the record, if the season ended today, the Seahawks would have the fourth pick in the draft unofficially, based on standings. Behind the Raiders, Texans, and Cardinals, probably two of those three teams wouldn't be looking quarterback. The Texans certainly would, and the Seahawks would have the fourth pick. 
based on where the Broncos are right now, they would also have the 23rd-ish pick. Just something to keep in mind. Again, I am Dan Vienz. Thank you for listening. Subscribe so you always get notifications of new episodes. And uh, keep an eye on the podcast. we got more stuff coming for you this week as the Seahawks get ready to take on the Lions. And keep this in mind as well. The Rams are 2-1. and one, Seahawks are 1-2. and two, Tied with everybody else for second place in the NFC West. Until next week. Or until the next time. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks. <laughs>